Hello, everyone, and welcome to Walking with the Tengu, a podcast exploring classic texts for the modern martial artist. Today's story comes from a Chinese Taoist text aptly titled after its alleged author, Zhuangzi. You've probably heard of the Tao Te Ching, the most famous of the Taoist texts. Well, this is the second most famous. There are several stories from this text that apply to both life and the martial arts, and the Tengu Geiju Tsuron, the text that inspired the name of this podcast, likely makes reference to this text in some of its stories. Today's story isn't all that complicated, nor does it really require any specialized knowledge. It's simple, direct, and communicates an idea about combative ability that remains critically important today about mindset and fear management. I would go so far as to say that these are actually more important than even which martial art you train or what weapons you carry. For today's episode, I did research reading Peter Lorge's take on this story in his excellent Chinese martial arts from antiquity to the 21st century. I highly recommend you pick up a copy. Check our reading list for a link to the book. So let's get to the story. This one involves a man named Lietze who was good at archery. Lietze wanted to show off his skill of archery to a friend. He drew his bow and placed a cup of water on his left forearm. Then he notched an arrow and let it fly. Before the first arrow hit the target, he had let off the second and the third. When he saw that all three arrows hit the center of the target, Lietze was quite pleased with himself. So steady was his hand and so focused was his concentration that the water in the cup did not spill. His friend, however, was not impressed. He said to Lietze, What you showed me was merely the skill of eye and hand, and not the state of mind of the true archer. Let's go up to the mountains and stand on the edge of a cliff. If you can shoot accurately under those conditions, then I shall be convinced of your mastery in archery. The two went up to the mountains, and when they reached the top of a peak, Lietze's friend walked toward the edge of a cliff that dropped a thousand feet below. Standing with his back to the drop and with half of his foot over the edge, he invited Lietze to join him. Lietze was already trembling when he saw his friend walk toward the edge of the cliff. Now at the thought of standing with his back to an abyss, he fell on his face and broke into a cold sweat. Lietze's friend then said, The master archer can fire an arrow under any condition, whether he sees the clear sky or faces the yawning abyss. He can still shoot with the same state of mind. He is not affected by conditions of life and death, for nothing can move the stillness of his mind. Look at yourself now. You're so scared that you can't stand up or look straight. How can you even begin to demonstrate the art of archery? This is probably one of the most applicable stories that I could think of when I was considering works for inclusion on this podcast. It doesn't matter what art you practice, whether it's traditional or modern, what tools you use, whether you live in a place that allows personal ownership of weapons or not. Regardless of your place or location, the lesson of the Lietze, the archer, applies to anyone training in something they intend to use to address violence. The aforementioned Peter Lorge states about his story, Moral and intellectual performance is and will always be more important to thinkers than physical performance. Martial artists, or any performer of physical skills, must always question the enduring value of their skills. Particularly for martial artists, where age eventually diminishes the abilities of any fighter or performer, physical perfection is temporary. If the only value produced is the simple correct repetition of a task, then it has taught the performer nothing. When I was in law enforcement, it was mentioned repeatedly in training that when a high-stress combative situation begins, you don't necessarily want who is the best at defensive tactics or firearms during training. 
You want the person who is going to have your back and go through the door with you no matter what. There were more than a couple times when I saw a fellow trainee who was superb on the range lose the ability to competently shoot as soon as they were placed under stress. I see this as a very real modern-day reenactment of Zhuang's story. If I were to reformulate it, I'd have one of the tactical, prideful guys from the range I've seen over the years showing off his amazing skill with a gun and then take him to stand at the very edge of a tall skyscraper. A simpler example, which I'm sure we can all relate to, would be to walk across a long piece of wood suspended off the ground by being placed across two cinder blocks. Easy for any of us to balance our way across. Take that same length of wood and place it over a chasm between two buildings, and we'll very likely find our ability to balance across the same piece of wood to be diminished. It's the same technical skill performance that's required, but the fear and the consequences for failure around that act differ greatly. The point being, skill in the application of violence is useless if your mind is not disciplined. All the tools and training in the world are useless if you are overcome with fear. Now, from a historical context, this text dates from somewhere around the 3rd century BC. Consider that for a moment, about 2,200 years ago, and yet the lessons of the observations from a time so long ago remain relevant today. Archery was, at that time, considered one of the most important arts for a man to cultivate, and remained an important part of Chinese culture for a very long time. It's curious, as the idea of using skill to perfect one's focus is often associated with Chan, otherwise known as Zen Buddhism, yet this account predates even the arrival of Buddhism in China by several centuries. This idea of having trained so well that you can operate even under life-and-death stress is critical to why I believe the martial arts have to be more than just physical combative skills. Honing mental discipline is the tool that allows you to use your skills and other tools when your body is pumped full of adrenaline and the fight-or-flight stress responses start to kick in. There's a system popular in the law enforcement and military communities called Cooper's Color Codes that is often used as an illustration of these different mental states. Condition white is a state of unreadiness and lack of awareness. Condition yellow is the optimal state of relaxed awareness. Condition red is the state you're in when you've identified a threat and are actively engaged in dealing with it. However, the worst is called condition black, wherein the cognitive and physical abilities of a person under stress is catastrophically impaired. This is when a person freezes or breaks down in some, or in some other way during high stress. So what can we do about this? There are a variety of ways to include stress inoculation in your training to increase your ability to handle stress in small amounts while retaining the ability to perform physical skills. Throwing yourself in the deep end is probably not the best training long term, though it certainly is one method. Doing some research online on what these methods are and then including them in your training can only help you become a better martial artist. What is important is to start small and work yourself up to increasingly larger amounts of stress, testing and pushing your ability to perform under pressure to greater heights. If your martial art includes competition or tournaments, that might be a way to introduce one kind of stress inoculation into your experience set. However, this is the kind of foreboding stress that looms over you and that you can prepare for in the days and weeks prior to a competition. There's another kind of stress that is the heat-of-the-moment surprise stress that is more typical of self-defense situations. 
finding ways to introduce surprise into your sparring may be a way to build this skill. Finally, there are very real physical impacts of stress on the body. If you've ever tried dialing 911 or using your keys after a truly stressful situation, you may have found that your hands had become useless meat hooks, barely able to function. One way to simulate this stress is to perform some physical activity like sprinting or push-ups to failure, and then sparring. If you're interested in reading more about the psychological and physical impacts of stress on a person in combat, I highly recommend you read On Combat by Dave Grossman and Lauren Christensen. Now, I wouldn't recommend immediately throwing yourself into stress inoculation until you've built some skill sets. The point is not to force students to fail simply for the sake of failing under stress. What I would recommend is introducing small amounts of stress into your daily training, pushing students to find where their limits are, and then pulling back just enough so that they can just barely succeed. When whatever task they're doing under that small amount of stress gets easy, then it's time to increase the stress, pushing them out to their new limits, repeating this process continually to always be pushing ourselves to our limits. And that's all for today. Please help the podcast out by sharing and telling people about it. The best way you can help us is just by letting people know that it's out there and what it's got you thinking about. Thank you for listening and talk to you again soon.